are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All God's people said. Now here's the thing. To better really, to really understand this point, to better illustrate this point, uh, I want to go back to a passage from Matthew 25, the parable of the foolish virgins, and you don't have to turn to it. But let me tell you about what this is. It's a parable, which is a little, little story packed with a great, powerful truth. Now, one of the key points about this parable, the ten uh, virgins, or in this case, the foolish virgins, was that they are depicted as ones that try to maintain some outward look or form of religion. In other words, they looked the apart. You know, I love going to the, to the basketball court, and I wear a headband, and I wear, like, my braces and my basketball shoes, and everyone thinks I'm a huge baller slash nerd, whatever, right? But I looked apart, and so when they see me, how I'm, like, dribbling like this and stuff, they're like, oh, this is ridiculous, but these people here, these women, they completely looked apart. They had the garments that was completely ceremonial. They did the worship. They, do, they had the lamps, for goodness sakes. That was one of the key elements of what they were supposed to do. They had the lamps in their possessions. They had their religious garment and robes on. They had their pious look. They were involved in all the ceremonies of that day. They worshipped. They went through the holy ordinances. And so they were extremely religious. You look at them, you're like, okay. They know what they're doing. These are religious people. And so the distinction was set, that they were set apart for something that they're waiting for, someone that they're waiting for. Then in the story, they hear someone cry out, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And all of a sudden, they're scurrying around to do what they had to do. They had to get to the completion of what they're waiting for. And so as they're trying to get in line and follow the, the bridal procession, they suddenly realize that they could not enter the banqueting hall, because they had no oil in their lamps to identify themselves. See, this is who I am. I'm part of this group. They're like, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. But look at how I'm dressed. I don't know who you are. Where's the oil in your lamps? Where's the thing that truly matters? And because, and though they had all their religious trappings, all their duties that they performed, all the ceremonies and religious functions and duties that they're involved in, Quite frankly, they had no real representation of true life. It was all show, no substance, all for pageantry, nothing genuine, all for people to see, but nothing for God to see and accept. These foolish versions looked like they had everything. They looked like they knew everything. But at the end of the day, or in their case, at the end of the night, they've completely missed their opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. Another illustration in Matthew 23 speaks about the hypocritical Pharisees. Pharisees were into religion like I'm into fried chicken, deep. They love it. They're all about it. You can see their religiosity a mile away. But in chapter 23, Jesus, he calls them out and he says, you know what? You guys clean the outside of your cup, but inside is filthy. It's disgusting, you hypocrite. And Jesus, he's reminding them, you know what? Your tomb might be white and pristine and clean on the outside, but inside it stinks of death. Jesus is reminding the readers that God, guess what? He really, he really, he really doesn't care for self, vain self-centered religious pageantry. 
He really doesn't care for that. You know, if you want to go ahead and adorn your entire room with a bunch of crosses and, 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 and uh, what is it, single footpath of the sand, whatever that poem is called, and, and all these things say, hey, this is who I am. I'm a Christian. This is what I do. God, he really doesn't care about that. He doesn't. God wants no part in people who come to him, offering to him, sacrificing to him, even obeying him with an impure, self-righteous, untrue heart. He says, get away from me. I know where you are. I know where you stand. These are people who I like I mentioned last week, people who are self-deceived. And this is where it gets a little tricky and how people can easily, so easily fall into the trap of looking the part. And by the way, this is the heart of the message here and the heart of all that you've heard so far, especially as we read here in James, that the most important test of all, the most important test that's laid, that's laid out there is this, that the true essence of true faith is displayed. This is what James is saying. That the true essence of true faith is displayed in the way a person actually behaves. You're thinking, well, that sounds kind of iffy. Behaves? Your behavior? Because true faith, as James says, is made to manifest through works. True faith is made to manifest in behavior. Now hear me out. I'm not saying changing your behavior is what you just need to do. Changing your attitude or works is not how one begins new life. That's not how it starts. No, even non-believers can change their behaviors if they want. So what's, so what's the relationship between true faith and works? The difference is from a changed and regenerated spirit where through the death and resurrection of Christ to those who believe in him, your once dead spirit becomes reborn. That, that, that's the gospel right there, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Are you a new creation? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, it says. And so with this spiritual change and transformation comes also a transformed desire. Comes a transformed desire. A desire to be good and do good and obey the commands of God. A desire to seek after the Father's will rather than your own. A desire to give love rather than receive love. And that's why I love seeing these youth students and college students go to Pittsburgh. And man, they just, they did not care about themselves. Even hygienically. <laughs> they were all about, I want to serve. I want to love. I don't care. I mean, Melody was talking about you know, doing playing tag, Lit and John was talking about that too. Literally, literally, they were running around for 30 minutes straight. Running around for 30. And there I was, and I was trying to be cool and just do the pictures. They're like, oh, guys, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a photographer here, right? But they were doing that. I mean, they were just giving love, and that's what it's about. Because a truly transformed nature creates transformed desires. Desire to love and simply receive a desire for holiness rather than desire for sinfulness. With a renewed mind and heart, you'll want the things of God. Turn to your neighbor and say this, I want the things of God. That's what we're called to do, to want the things of God if you profess in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're called to live differently, to behave differently, to think differently, and simply be different. Here's the thing, if you call yourselves a Christian, but there is absolutely no difference in your attitude, no difference in your desires, no difference in your behavior, no difference in your, in your beliefs than that of the world, then you are not saved. I'm not saying it. God's saying it here. 
1 John 5.18. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. There must be a difference in our lives. There must be. I'm not saying that if you struggle that with sin that you're not a Christian. But with a new nature comes new desires. That means we don't keep on sinning. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with this verse. There's one verse that truly encouraged me too in Proverbs 24, 16. It says, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. The righteous man, the one standing right and justified before God, falls one, twice, three times, however many times, but rises again. This means after you fall, will you repent and come back to the Lord? You get that? Being a Christian doesn't mean perfection, but it certainly means fighting every day with sin because you hate it. That is what indicates. That's an indication whether you know the Lord or not. Do you hate sin? So that every moment of every day, you resist it, you toil, you wrestle with it, or do you just fall into a fetal position and give into it? There is a call to be different, ladies and gentlemen. To be different as a Christ follower, it may invite criticism and rejection from this world. And in cases that we've heard in our Nepali kids, rejection from their own families. But being different as a Christ follower will invite acceptance from our Heavenly Father. What is more important to you? To please God or please man? So this passage isn't just talking about changing your behavior for the sake of looking the part. No, that's called legalism. God, he hates legalism. Legalism says, look, God, I did my part. Look, God, I'm following the rules. Look at how I achieved it. Look at how I did it. Look at how I won it. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at, I, look at what I've done. Legalism, it diminishes the presence of God. It diminishes the grace of God. And it minimizes the, minimizes the sacrifice of Christ. Legalism makes it all about works when we know that we cannot be saved by works, but rather we are saved to do good works. We are saved to do good works. We are not saved by works, but rather we do good works in response to the great salvation in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Because I am saved, Lord, I serve you. I want to do good. Because I am saved, I want to respond by living in obedience. Listen, guys, people, and we've experienced this this past week as we're evangelizing the streets of, of Pittsburgh, people would absolutely love to have Jesus if he didn't ask you to change. Jesus loves you. Oh, really? That's cool. I love Jesus. Yeah, no problem. I'll, yeah, sure, I'll say Jesus is my homeboy. No problem. But Jesus also says, go and sin no more. No, man, I don't want that anymore. We just came back from missions surrounded by non-believers, but let me say this. Even within these church walls, if you lay down the responsibility to the members of living, subservient, obedient lives to the Lordship of Christ, I don't know how many of us will actually want to follow that. Follow Christ. Can I just like on Sundays worship him like we just did with Pocky here and just raise my hands up? Can I just do that and forget about him Monday through Saturday? Mm-mm. No. And James, he makes a point here that the obedience of the word of God, and I want you to hear me out well on this, that the obedience to the word of God is the most fundamental and basic mark of a truly regenerated and transformed life. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it one more time. 
obedience, your obedience to the very words of God is the most fundamental and basic mark and indication of a truly regenerated and transformed life. You think you are a Christian? How do you respond to the word of God? You think you love Christ? How do you respond to his words? You think you love the Holy Spirit? What do you do when the Holy Spirit prompts you? You think you love God. Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you pursue him? Remember, this does not mean that you have to live a perfect life. There's absolutely no way we can do that, but it does mean that you stop pursuing sin and, stop and start pursuing God. True spiritual transformation becomes a question of will. That's why so far in James, he talks about the people's free will in choosing God during the tests we face, choosing God during the temptations we face, choosing God during the struggles we face, that in the midst of your circumstances, because you are freed and a new creation in Christ, here's the thing, because you are freed in Christ, that during your circumstances, you have a choice to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Do you hear that? You have a choice to say no to lust, no to pornography, no to promiscuity, no to hooking up, no to premarital sex, and yes, I want to remain pure before your eyes, Lord. I want to remain pure and save myself for marriage. That in the freedom that Christ gives you from the bondage of sin, that you can actually say no to things like addiction and yes to freedom and no to even negativity and say yes to hope and optimism and, and encouragement and love. You can choose that in Christ. Because in Christ Jesus, he gives you the freedom to choose. And the freedom to win. Let's get into these verses here. Last week we talked about heaven, uh, hearers and doers of the word, and that we want to be doers, but not just hearers. Amen? Amen? We want to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Well, James, he takes it further and he says, there's just one more thing, guys, about being that doer. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. At first, James says, you're not really saved unless you're doing the word. But now he says, if you're doing the word but, not have, but have not bridled your tongue, he says, then your religion is useless. So get this. Even though you might be all evangelical and all Christianese, like, if, like you follow the Protestant church rules and bylaws, and you even believe in the whole biblical ordinances, and you do the baptism and the Lord's Supper, and, it's, and you're not doing anything unbiblical, Okay. You're following the Bible. You're not doing anything remotely heretical. You're with Scripture. You're with God the Father. You're with God the Son. And you're with God the Spirit. You're doing all that stuff. You're not contesting it. You're all for it. But, he says, you don't do it with the right heart. He says, it is no more effective than straight-up pagan worship idolatry. That should wake us up right now. You see, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that if we read the Bible, go to church, pray, give some money, sing some songs, that that will be enough. So what does James say? He says, if you want to know if you're doing right, check your tongue. Check your tongue. If any man thinks himself to be religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, the whole thing is deceptive and useless. But why the tongue? Why is James bringing that out? Because we know 
that out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. In other words, your lips will reveal your heart. Your lips will reveal your heart. You know, the average person speaks about 18,000 words a day. Some of you guys are pushing that average. That's about 54 pages. Times New Roman, 12 font, double space. 54 pages. You are writing a short book every day of your lives. And let me ask you this. If someone were to read it, what would they say? The first thing James wants us to know is that the proper reaction to the word of God is to receive the word, then apply the word without deception and put the word to work in our lives. Then you will see the reality of your faith and not be deceived. And how do you see the reality of this faith? How do you see the reality of the impact of the word? By seeing how your heart controls it, how, seeing how your heart filters it, seeing how your heart restrains it through the words that you speak out. That's how you see the reality of your faith. What are you saying to others? What are you saying even to yourself when no one's around? Like I've had people come to me and they will say the kindest things. And I'll feel like I'm Billy Graham. They'll say the most wonderful, wonderful things. But then, and it seems like they're saying wonderful things to everyone else too. But then I, I look on Facebook and that evening, it's like I'm looking at someone completely different. They're F-bombing this. They're F-bombing that. They're talking smack about someone, venting or gossiping about their life, about their work, about other people. I'm like, who is this person? Look, I'm not here to judge. It's between you and God, but you must check your words because it's indicative of what's filling up your heart. You must be careful what you say. And if that's where your heart is, then guess what, brother? says, do something about it. Go to the one who will heal you. Fall before the throne of God's grace and mercy. Keep track of what you say because it will reveal to us where we're at with God. This, you know what this is? This is called spiritual inventory. This is where you check yourself. God, am I, am I good with you? Am I right with you? Well, check your words. Because then that's where your heart is. Secondly, lastly, is how to apply the word of God into our lives. And verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions, to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a great verse. True religion displays what? Not this hermit attitude where we just stay within our church walls and just sing kumbaya and stay and look happy and be happy with each other. No, it says, true religion displays through love and compassion. Turn to your neighbor and say this, we got to love others. We got to love others. Do you know that one person who's just really hard to love in your life? You know who they are, right? I could totally see in your eyes, Right? Because some of you guys are just wincing. It's just too painful even to think of. That person is like, oh, they are, by definition, unlovable. Unlovable. That's the person God is saying, love them. You know, for, for those of you who are husbands and your wife just got on your nerves at that one point in time, whatever, and you're thinking, oh, Lord, why did this happen? Love them. As a preacher, I can say easy stuff like this right now. Love them. That's what we're called to do. Love and compassion. Pure is the word for clean. Undefiled is the word for unstained. And by the way, let me get this straight here. Who are we supposed to remain pure before? Are we supposed to show the world that we're pure and holy and righteous and all that stuff? 
Is that what we're called to do before the world? No, because quite honestly, look like we evangelists in Pittsburgh. People don't care what we say or what we do or what we're about. They really don't care. This call for purity is to be pure before the Lord. That's what matters. He knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. We are to be undefiled before God. And here it is. The genuineness of your faith is not determined by your opinion or anyone else's, but God's alone. It's his judgment that matters. It's what he thinks of you that matters. It's his standard. It's his judgment, his measuring rod that we are judged by. And so how do we stand before a God of the universe undefiled? How do we stand before him undefiled? By allowing Jesus to take away your sins and place his righteousness and holiness upon you. That's the only way. To be defiled is to let the world cover you. To be undefiled is to let the blood of Christ cover you. Remember how we talked about the practicality of our Christian faith, as James put it? Well, to be a doer of God's word, there are three areas where we have to observe. First is this, in relation to ourselves. Second, in relation to others. And thirdly, in relation to the world. Every day, we're called right now to take an inventory like this. Look at yourself and ask, how do I know if I'm walking with the Lord today? How do I know if I'm truly representing Christ today? James says one way is to check your heart. A doer of the word has self-expressed the reality of his or her faith through their tongue. The second thing we should ask is, what is the reality of our faith to others? Are we loving other people? Are we seeking to help other people with compassion? Not only that, do you find actual joy in serving and helping people, or do you simply do it to appease your conscience for a little bit and maybe show people that you're generous? Do you do it because you genuinely care? The Lord says, check your attitude towards others then. And lastly, if you want to see the reality of your faith in relation to the world, ask yourself, do I want to win the world for Christ or do I want to be part of the world? You know what's awesome at Pittsburgh? We went to this point lookout area where, where you see the entire cityscape. This is beautiful area, this section. And there we had 26 students and they were circling around and and um, actually, before we got to the singing songs and stuff like that, we had a handful of kids, and there were other, like, tourists and just Pittsburgh natives there. And so it was kind of packed, but we see a bunch of my, uh, three of my kids, they go to the front where they, you know, where the, uh, the ledge area, and they're just looking out, and then they all sing, they all shout, I love Jesus! And at first, I was over, and I was like, I was like who's saying that? <laughs> and I realized, oh, no, that's what, oh, they're saying I love Jesus. I was like, no, keep going. I love Jesus, but as they are doing that, what was happening? There are these people walking by, and they're saying, what a bunch of idiots. What a bunch of idiots. And then another group of teens were walking by, and they were going, ooh, Jesus. Someone who has affection for the world would shut their mouths. And say, I can't do this anymore. World, you win. I can't live for you, Jesus. I can't. The fear of man is too great within me. I can't do this. If you want to see the reality of your faith in relation to this world, ask yourself, will you do anything for Christ? Will you say anything for Christ? 
will you unashamedly go before, even in the thicket of all people who oppose Christ and say, Christ is supreme. He is Lord and he loves you. This is how you do spiritual inventory. Pure and true faith or religion, I end with this, as James puts it. If you really want to know how true and pure your faith is, it comes down to this one point, holy obedience. If you really want to know the marks of a husband's love for his wife, how do you measure it? You measure it by his devotion, his love, his desire to serve and be faithful to his bride. It is no different with our relationship with Jesus. What's your pattern of holy obedience? If you are a doer of the word of God, it must start from the inside. So James says to test our faith. How do you react in trials? How do you react in temptation? How do you respond to the word? True faith is a belief that behaves through word and in love from the genuineness of our transformed hearts. If you say you love Christ, let's see it. If you say you know Christ, let's see it. Let's see it. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, we come before you as, as people who are still perhaps a little bit shaken, a little bit maybe even unsure and scared. Maybe we're even confused as to what it means to truly be a Christian. And maybe we think that because for so long behind these pulpits, we've just taught feel-good messages where it's all about just professing and professing and professing. But no, Lord, true profession leads to action. True profession, saying that you believe and know something, means, God, that, that you're willing to change your lifestyle. If we're concerned for the lost, then we have to go to the lost. If we're all about serving, then we have to serve. And so, Lord, I pray that today, this afternoon, you would wake us up. You would open our eyes. And yeah, we may not be the most mature, the strongest in faith, but Lord, we know that we will get there. But that path, is a path that goes through obedience first. Holy obedience. Otherwise, being a lukewarm, nominal, weekend Christian is all we'll ever be, and, and I wonder if that is even true or possible. I don't know what these people here are thinking right now, but in the name of Jesus, would you just stir their hearts Would you convict them, Lord? Would you lead us to no longer compromise our faith, no longer compromise the word of God, but in faith and in trust, do what you've told us to do. Follow you all the way up to Calvary, no matter how hard it will be, no matter how many times we'll get hit, 
No matter how many people will leave us. Lord, because at the end of the day, you are true. You are right. You are God. And to forsake the whole world but have you, Lord, is worth it. To leave everything else behind, even family, friends, careers, ambition, money, fame, sex, everything, all that stuff, the pleasure of the world. But to have you, Lord, is well worth it. And as we prepare for this time of communion too, God, and reflect upon how important, Lord, giving up the world to have you is, as it was demonstrated on that cross 2,000 years ago by your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if none of this was worth it, then why did he have to do it? If life was just all about living comfortably and, and being nominal in our faith and saying, yeah, I believe in the Bible, or yeah, I pray every so often, or yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I go to church, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to go through what he, what he had to go through? Why did he have to receive all that humiliation and pain? No, it's because he paved the way. He showed us what would happen. But friends and brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that while we may share in his suffering, we will also share in his glory if you follow him. So teach us, Lord, how to be holy. Teach us, Lord, what it means to obey at all costs. So brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys just a, just a brief moment to lift up in your hearts a prayer to the Lord, wherever the Lord is communicating to you, whatever he is saying to you. You should give it up to God and say, God, I'm confused. I'm, I'm, I'm also kind of wary or, or uh, undecided about this. Would you seek God from the genuineness and the bottom of your heart and just seek him and say, Lord, would you speak to me at this time? Am I truly living a life of obedience? Or am I just trying to skate on by? Let's take this moment in prayer, okay? Let's pray.